Over the last seven years, I have tried every kind of marketing you can possibly imagine for my business. And I have determined over that time that direct mail has been by far the most profitable marketing channel I have ever tried. And I've spent over a million dollars just testing it out figuring out what works and figuring out what doesn't. And through that time, I've been able to generate over 100 deals per year in my business using direct mail. And now I've created a very small but very powerful mini course on how I utilize direct mail in my business. It explains everything I do from A to Z, and I've made this available to you absolutely free. That's right, no charge, no obligations, just go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail. mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail to find out how you can implement my system in your business and start generating more leads through direct mail. Go check it out. It's absolutely free. I can't wait for you to try it. And everybody gets a little bit ornery when they're tired, hungry, and irritable, but I... I probably take it farther than other people. I can get super short with people. Um, and so you've seen all of that and you're still my friend. So that's the, that's a true friend. When your friend, when someone sees you at your worst and they still want to be a good friend of yours, then man, you gotta, you gotta stay being friends with that person because yeah, that's, that's, that's the part of you. That's my favorite. honestly. <laughs> so. I know. I think it's charming too, but I've, I've heard it explicitly told to me throughout my life that it is absolutely not the charming part of me at all. So uh, <laughs> the fact that you not only have been exposed, but you like it, man, uh, you've got to be a friend for life. I can't find many people who would put up with that crap. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, thank you for joining me on the show today. I'm excited that you're here and I'm excited to be bringing you the show because I've got a friend on today who I think a lot of. He's a smart real estate investor. He's pivoted you know, a few times in his real estate career for the better, right? Not out of panic or because something didn't work. Uh, everything this guy has done has worked as far as I've ever heard. And I've been good friends with him for years. Uh, he just decides, listen, this isn't making me happy anymore. I'm going to do this. And he just sort of shifts around. He went from being uh, an incredibly successful realtor to an incredibly successful house flipper to now his latest passion and his latest focus is short-term rentals, but not just like any short-term rentals. This guy just bought a cabin in the mountains of uh, Georgia that is amazing. He was featured on a television program. We talk about all that and we get into all of this stuff. And I treat this this uh, episode a little bit more like a casual conversation or behind the scene looks at look at a conversation I'm having with a friend more than an interview. I just don't cram you know questions down his throat. I try to make it a little bit more like what we, how we would talk if we were hanging out and let you guys kind of sit in on that. So I hope you enjoy this one. I had a lot of friend of my a lot of fun with my friend Terry, and I hope you guys really like it too. All right, guys, thank you and welcome back to just our real estate. Uh, this is going to be a different episode a little bit. Uh, I kind of talked a bit in the intro about why it's different, um, but it's going to be more conversational. We're going to just chat. As I got a friend on. Uh, really smart, really great, really successful real estate investor that is also one of my very best friends in the world. And uh, I wanted to talk to him and have more of a hair, let the hair down conversation a little bit. Um, it's not going to get too raunchy or anything. If you have kids listening, it's fine. But I just mean, we're not, this isn't going to be a standard interview. I'm not just going to fire questions at him for 30 minutes and have him answer. If you want to know more about Terry, he's going to, he's going to give you a little background, but I told him 30, I gave him a 30 second limit. So if you really want to hear a longer background, you can go to the episode that I did with him back on August 26th, 2019, entitled Building Your Business with Work-Life Balance. So you can hear more of an, of an intro back then. But uh, for now, Terry, man, how's it going? Let's just tell people who you are. I want to get that out of the way because I want to have a conversation, but I want to give people some context. Yeah. Uh, okay. So great. I'll start back when I was born. Um, then I graduated high school. I want to hear about each year of elementary school and what you thought of it. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is that I like people knowing about me is I was a classically trained musician, right? So I put in the reps and the hours and I know what it takes to be disciplined and get stuff done. 
and uh, to try to master your craft. And so that's been good in real estate investing and bad um, because you can hyper obsess over stuff that it doesn't have to be perfect. But in the classical music world, everything had to be absolutely perfection and then and then some on top of that right so uh and then uh, i taught school middle school band and orchestra for nine years got out of that um when i felt like the movie groundhog day it was just the same thing over and over again and that's been the pattern of my life when i feel like it starts feeling like the movie groundhog day with bill murray uh then i try something new so then i was an agent sold i don't know mike you know like i think in 15 years i sold over a thousand houses and then got into full-time real estate investing back in uh i guess it was 2015 okay 2016 something like that yep okay and then I, and then i met you and we become yeah not best friends man you're like one of the closest friends i have yeah like i know i would consider you my best friend or one of my best friends for sure well you know it's funny I, you know, I've been doing this podcast for almost 10 years and I'm, I am authentically me. I'm not being phony on here. However, let's be honest, right? I'm in public. I'm not being a total jerk or like necessarily saying every rude thing that comes into my head. Uh, but you know me better than most people know me. You've seen, you've seen, you've, I've peeled back the onion a little bit on me where all the warts and everything that isn't as, um, polished and forward, you know, kind of facing forward as, as I am on the podcast. And, uh, and so I, we're not gonna probably get that crazy, but you've seen that part of me, you've, you know, you've seen me when I'm tired and irritable and everybody and when they're tired and hungry, tired and irritable. <laughs> and everybody gets a little bit ornery when they're tired, hungry and irritable. But I, I probably take it farther than other people. I can get super short with people. Um, and so you've seen all of that and you're still my friend. So that's the, that's a true friend. When your friend when someone sees you at your worst and they still want to be a good friend of yours, then man, you gotta you gotta stay being friends with that person because yeah, that's 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 the part of you that's my favorite, honestly. <laughs> so. I know. I think it's charming too, but I've I've heard it explicitly told to me throughout my life that it is absolutely not the charming part of me at all. So uh, <laughs> the fact that you not only have been exposed, but you like it, man, uh, you've got to be a friend for life. I can't find many people who would put up with that crap. But uh, all right, so let's talk about it. You became a real estate investor full-time in 2015, 16. You were flipping houses back then, yeah? That was yep. primarily mm-hmm. what, what the what the goal was. Um, so... I know that you moved into this world of uh, single family rentals with much more gusto and success and enthusiasm and every other fun, good, positive spin you want to put on it than I have. Um, You're outpacing me by far. Uh, I'm talking a good game, but I haven't done as much as I should be doing. However, I do have, I do have two that I bought last year at the end of the year. Um, But I'd love to hear about that because uh, you know, I got to know you through the seven figure flipping group and you were a house flipper. It's kind of like once you started real, once you started investing in like being an investor full time, I knew you as a house flipper and I know you're still doing that, but that's not really where your head is a hundred percent now. And if I'm, I don't, if I'm saying something wrong, stop me, but huh. I'm thinking your heart isn't there either necessarily like it used to be. And you're, you're in the short-term rental world. And man, I'm just like, I've told you this privately and then, and I'm saying it now on, on camera, but dude, so impressed. Like I just, I'm still kind of kicking myself cause you offered to bring me in on your big project that you did last year. And I just wasn't a good time. I didn't have the money to do it, frankly, but, oh, I wish I could have done it. Cause that thing I am, I know for a fact, and you know, too, cause you're seeing it, you're going to just kill it with that, man. I'd love to hear more about that. Like, let's talk about that. Um, to help you kind of catch people up a little bit of what we're talking about. Yeah. So, so I've never, you know, done a, a, like a gazillion flips. Like there are people out there doing a hundred, 150, 200 deals. That's not me. I've always been kind of the work-life balance guy, spend time with my kids, do enough deals. And, you know, it's interesting, Mike, you know, if we're just going to take the gloves off and kind of talk openly, <clears throat> I feel like, <clears throat> I, I tell people this all the time. I feel like I never made more money than I did when I was doing 12 to 18 flips a year. Um, and then when we were doing like 18 and scaling up to 40, 45 flips, you got to hire a bunch of people. You got to manage a bunch of people and you've got payroll and 
there's, you know, you're, you can't analyze deals as much as you could before. So you're trusting other people to do that work and, and they're not getting deals as fat as you could necessarily. And I've just never been much of a great scaler, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah, I, I gotta have my hands on it. I think if that's part of the musician training, right? Like it's my gig, it's my instrument. I got to nail it. Um, I got to know my, I got to know the part of the symphony that's mine to control and um and so being able to scale has been kind of hard um but i always you know it was one thing i always hated i always hated selling the stuff that we bought so we'd buy it we'd fix it up it's really beautiful and then i i've sold it off and if i would kept all that <laughs> stuff i'd have a couple hundred properties today you know yeah, um, yeah but yeah. a ton of equity in them and i i could be all set to go but uh, but that what, wasn't what the would case. You, but, but, well, wait what would you have done with them you're saying hold on to like as rentals you're saying back yeah, then like yeah. what would you have done like yeah, rentals? probably keep them as rentals, right? Like, I think if we could go back four or five, six years, all of us would have kept everything that we had, knowing the run-up yeah, we had true. in the past couple of years. You know, we'd all be sitting pretty out on cash-out refinances at 3% going, hey, where do you want to go this weekend, you know? Yeah, true. And so so, um, so what happened was is uh, October, no, July of 2021, the Mastermind goes to Park City, Utah for its event. I had a COO at the time and uh, it wasn't going well. Like he wasn't, he wasn't running the company. Like I was running the company. I was trying to teach him. He didn't really have a ton of real estate experience. I thought he could catch on a little quicker than he did. And he was more a yes man than somebody who would say, I think we should do this. or I think we should do that. So um, I felt like I had to keep my hands in the business a little bit more. And so I come to this mastermind. I'm like, that's it. I'm going all in on cash flow. I'm going to build a cash flowing real estate business, and I, I'm not. I'm not going to sell off as much of the thing of the product that that we normally would sell off. Yeah. So we're going to keep the really the winners. I'm going to sell the ones that I think we should sell, and we're going to start kind of looking at these short term rental things. Okay. And so we did. We uh, uh, in the last let's see July 2021. So in what is it? Was that 18 months? Basically, 18 months yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah, so we have six short-term rentals in Greenville, South Carolina. We took down a 20,000-square-foot lodge that we'll talk about in North Georgia mountains. And um, and so uh, I went all in on these on this cash-flowing business, and it's hard. Like, building a cash-flowing real estate business is not easy as it is flipping 18 to 20 houses a year, right? Because you're, you're generating pretty decent cash, Um on the flipping side and then you know on the short-term rental side it's you're getting a double here triple here you yeah. know a single here right yeah 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 so so well, um well let me just say this i mean it, you're doing first of all i i thought for some reason you started doing short-term rentals during that was basically during covid right kind of like the second half of, of the whole covid mm -hmm. thing because everything sort of didn't things spike a little bit during covid like didn't the short-term rental market kind of explode and things like that? Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you're also, it's harder. It's, it's more work, but it's like a, a mini hospitality business you've started, right? It's like yeah. each one of those things is a hospitality business. So anyways, I interrupted you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, and I just, have, I've learned a ton of lessons. You know, I think for people that have these short-term rentals, it's really like you start getting six or seven or eight of them. Now you have to have some staff that help you like inspect the cleaners and make sure things are right. And, and now all of a sudden you're like, well, it, are these, are these properties actually making money? Because now I have a 25, $30,000 part-time employee that has to go and look at these houses. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and so you're like, if you're paying somebody 30 grand to keep track of six houses and you don't have any more than six, well, now that's $5,000 a house a year for this employee. So is that built into your bottom line? So that's kind of what we're doing right now. We're reevaluating our short-term rental portfolio to see if we should sell and go big since we already took down one huge property. Like I'm not afraid to do it again. Um, yeah. And I, I, feel like, I feel like the little small... The key, what I what I've learned, I've learned a lot of hard lessons in the STR world. The best lesson I've learned is uniqueness matters. So yeah, whatever that, you can do to separate yourself, that's huge, man. And do you think the the littler ones that you have? Because we're going to talk about this lodge because it's just super impressive. But the littler ones you have, is it significantly easier to run those? 
No, it's about the same amount of work. So on a weekend, right, we would have six guests. So six times the thing that could go wrong if I just had one huge cabin or an oceanfront property, right? Right. So it's not any easier. It's just, it feels safer for a lot of people. Gotcha. Yeah. I I think just to play like devil's advocate, right? The reason why people maybe push back or don't go in that direction as far as, you know, bigger, more luxury is if, if you don't get it filled, the, the bleeding is more of a hemorrhage than, Mm. than a slow drip. Right. So there's more risk involved. How do you deal with that in your own head? Right. Cause I think, tell me if I'm wrong, cause I know you, right. My guess is if you could snap your fingers and turn those six short-term rentals into one big one, like the cabins, you do it tomorrow. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you reconcile the risk, right? It's bigger risk for sure. You got two instead of, you know, seven. And so theoretically you can't have one not perform because you're in real trouble if that happens. Yeah. I think, I think there's one thing about the six, right? I call them monopoly houses because it is cute little bungalows. You know, they look like monopoly houses. (laughs) And the thing with the monopoly houses is I can sell off one of one of those monopoly houses and it operates as like a cash in my wallet almost. Like I've got these six houses any one of them would go under contract, even in this market, in four or five days, maybe a week, even a month, right? Because they're all those kind of starter homes. It's what everybody wants. They're really nice, well-decorated. And so I can I can sell off one if I absolutely had to. You don't get that kind of flexibility with a, a million or a million and a half dollar uh, right. luxury property out there somewhere, right? Right. Um, so I think that's that's part of it. The second thing that those little monopoly houses represent is they they represent my middle class upbringing, right? Like they're houses mm. that I kind of would have grown up in, and I like them, and I like the the neighborhood and the people. There's something nostalgic about it. Um, number two, and I think the third thing is is that it it represents a piece of my business um, where I was totally hands on. You know, I was I was there telling them what light fixtures to put in and all, all these kinds of things. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm a pretty logical guy. So I, I try to separate the logic or the emotion from the logic and go, okay, you know, but we have, let's say out of those six houses, we have $300,000 in equity, right? Yeah. So then the question is, okay, does that $300,000 in equity, is it returning at least a 10% margin on those little houses, not including appreciation? And so it's not like that's mm. the that's the bottom line for now. So that the question I have to ask myself is, should I sell them all off and take that 300K and go take down a bigger project for less headache? I got so one guest on a weekend, you know, versus yeah. six. So know? what's the answer? I mean, is that that sounds like a no brainer for what everything you said that yeah. I would go, well, why wouldn't you do that? Yeah, I, I think that's probably where my head is going is yeah. we're definitely, you know, once the spring market hits, once I've owned them a year, so I don't have to pay big capital gains on them or I can take them in 1031 and over it into something else. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, is it I'm harder? Yeah. I, I agree with you. Is it harder to, is it harder? It's because it's such a noob question. It's so, it's so embarrassing. Is it harder for you to run the numbers on a, a little bungalow, little monopoly house than it is an oceanfront, property like not only is it bigger risk it is it and i don't put words in your mouth but is it harder for you to completely feel comfortable and quantify what is going to happen when you buy it and put it on the on airbnb or vrbo or whatever the little ones versus the big ones or the big ones versus whatever is is one isn't the i'm going to ask it in a very leading question if i was a lawyer i would be told to stop is it not Terry Berger, is it not easier to quantify what will happen cash flow wise on a smaller house in a neighborhood where there's a lot of other Airbnbs? Yeah, it's definitely easier to quantify the monopoly house, but you're also you're also part of the Dunkin Donuts coffee world, right? You're just a really decent cup of coffee, but you're there with all the other all, all the other Dunkin' Donuts coffee. You're, instead of a Starbucks experience, I've got a Dunkin' Donuts experience, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I'm not arguing that unique and bigger isn't better. I, I'm bought into that. I, now I'm just wondering, what what are the downsides? What are the challenges that are unique to those big properties? And I would think evaluating them would be one of them. Like, th- this, is my, this is why I'm asking it with 
with so much tenacity is because somebody sent me, actually my daughter, my daughter who I'm doing my business, the short-term business with, she sent me a property. And I want to say it was in Texas, but I'm not hundred percent positive. I think it was in Texas. And she's like, what about this one? Cause I told her, we're going to go a little bigger, honey. We're going to do bigger, unique something. We, we got to do something. And she sent me one and said, what about this? And I looked at it and I, and I evaluated it in two, in two different places. Just quick. I wanted to quickly look at it. And one place said the average daily uh, rate was like $250 a night. The other place said it was $1,400 per night on average. Uh, And I'm like, are you are you kidding me right now? Like, sorry, I almost got real with you. Are you kidding me right now? Like, now what do I do at one point like at at, at fourteen hundred dollars? I'm making nine grand a month mm-hmm. at two hundred and fifty dollars. I'm losing a thousand dollars a month. So yeah. I, I'm like, what? <sighs> come on, man. Like, and, and I'll tell you what I use. Like, I'm not trying to be cryptic. The first one I used was what Rab Boo or whatever. Or oh yeah, yeah whatever yeah. that is. And the other one was um, uh, Air DNA. Yep. Right. Air DNA said fourteen hundred. Rabu said like two fifty. Now, when I looked around at the other properties, right, because they show you some, they were all in the two hundred to three hundred range. I, so I, but I know that Air DNA is is reputable, right? They people use it. Why are they so far off? And and maybe are they right on some levels or possibility? That's what it would be like. That's where I get frustrated with these bigger ones. Yeah, uh, you know, I don't know. My, the jury's still out of my mind on Air DNA and a lot of this Air Airbnb research. Like, for example, if I block something, um, is or I do a manual booking, right? Like, how do they know? And so, I, I so this is what I do. I basically go in and I I comp it like I would as a realtor, right? That's I was a realtor for almost 15 years. So I'll go in and I'll go into Airbnb itself and I'll go into Verbo itself and I'll start looking for properties for $1,000 a night and go, okay, does my does my racehorse beat this racehorse, right? And if it doesn't, then I'm like, oh, okay. So one of the, it looks like to me, the software was wrong. Okay. The algorithm was wrong. Something was wrong. And, you know, like for example, this lodge up in North Georgia mountains, like it's 15 bedrooms and 13 and a half baths. I can't use any software on that because there's nothing else like it. Right. So, so then you're like, you're left going, well, so let me, you want me to tell you how I comp that? I would love it. Yes. So I probably spent a hundred hours before we bought this place. So just to give everybody kind of an overview, um, like I said, I wanted to build a cash flow business and my wife and I always kind of wanted this property where life change could happen, you know, church retreats, um, leadership retreats, like friend groups, family reunions, you know, micro weddings, corporate retreats. Like we wanted a place where people could come, something would change, or at least they got a couple of days in the mountains where they could be quiet and detox from this crazy world uh, that we've lived in, especially in the last two or three years, you know? Yeah. And so uh, we found this property and long story short, uh, we ended up uh, taking it down with a couple of my investors from my house flipping side. It was 3 million bucks, 20,000 square feet of cabin space in the North Georgia mountains near Helen, Georgia, uh, surrounded by the uh, uh, national forest. It's really this unbelievable place. And that's kind of our passion project right now. But there's nothing like it. You can't comp it. There's nothing like it in all of North Georgia. Um, in fact, in order to get that big of a property, you would have to go to Pigeon Forge or Gatlinburg to comp mm-hmm. it. Yeah. And so um, so that's what I did. I I, I looked at every, every cabin property um, in North Georgia, in Pigeon Forge, in Gatlinburg, that was any type of competitor and there I, what i determined was there was no competitor to it like it was a one-of-a-kind mm. offshoot and so and i mean i'm not can i just plug the website i mean I, yeah for we're, sure we're oh, of course an example so yep. go to bisonviewlodge.com and just look at it i mean it's say, say that again say it again slower because i almost yeah, didn't bison bisonviewlodge.com so okay. if you go there and you look at it like you'll see there's nothing like it it had it, this guy that, that created this project it was his baby i didn't do anything but just take it and show it to the world but this business owner like took this project and had an unbelievable vision uh, uh for this property 
And it's unbelievable. And so, so when we were analyzing it, it had no income because it wasn't exposed to Airbnb or Verbo or short-term rentals because mm-hmm. it was just this private compound. And, uh, and so I started running the math on it, Mike, and it was the same thing. I'm like, well, conservatively, this thing should rent for, if this eight bedroom house an hour away from us is going to rent for 1200, certainly a 15 bedroom should rent for like 1800. Right. Yeah. And so that's how I started to comp it out was looking at it and going, okay, just like you said, this thousand dollar one in Texas, I was like, okay, air DNA can't comp it. Uh, this Rabu can't comp it. I'm going to have to go in and comp it. And that's yeah. exactly what I did. And I, I was like, outside of Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg, you can't find a property this big. And so what is that? What does that mean? Well, within two hours of a major international airport, one of the biggest in the world, I've got an advantage over Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg. Yeah. I, I don't have Dollywood, but I know that for corporate customers, you know, they might come in and play some golf or they might go on the lake or a family reunion. People might do a bunch of different things and they all want to be, and it's a cheap flight into Atlanta versus a cheap flight into Knoxville, Tennessee, for example. Yeah. So like, there's all these value adds things start to come to mind. And I'm like, all right, I think we can jump on this. And without any T12 or trailing 12, no income, no nothing. We bought this thing for $3 million, you know, on a, on the hope that I analyzed it correctly. So, that, dude, that's like nerves of steel, right? You, there was no way to know. And matter of fact, I happen to know because I we've talked about this before. You fairly largely underestimated what you could make with this. Like you're outperforming your guesstimate, right? your educated guess. You're outperforming it. Where did if you if we could talk about it for a minute? Because I'm just trying to think. Like I I know, but. Um, I'm trying to kind of not just have a conversation, but when people are like screaming at their like their car right now when they're listening, where did he find it? Like, yeah. where did you find it? <laughs> That's funny. So there's a a, a Facebook uh, group that I belong to called Airbnb Homes for Sale, and uh, it's just you know most of it's just a bunch of people, realtors mostly putting their junk on there. Not I don't want to say mm. junk. There's some junk in there, but it's they throw junk. their stuff in there, and um. And so, you know, like all these Facebook groups that list stuff for sale, it's like marketplace, right? You got to go wading through a bunch of crap to get to the stuff that you're really trying to find. And so um, one, it was like right before Christmas last year, about a year ago, um, I was in there and I just typed in Helen, Georgia, and this place popped up. And what was funny is it was like one of the comments, you know, you get these naysayers on there and, and he was like, good luck selling it here. And that's how I found it was that particular website um, or that, that group, which, you know, and I I was sorting through some stuff. I was just trying to find off market stuff or things that, you know, that you might be able to get a better deal on. And uh, this was listed with a commercial broker. So I had no Hmm. idea. I didn't even know that. I didn't realize it was listed with a commercial broker. I thought you bought it directly from the seller. Yeah, no, I was a commercial broker, but, but he was in Michigan. And then the, the property was in North Georgia, right? So that's kind of weird. Like what agent right. lists something in Michigan? And and uh, so I, I, I skip trace the owner and the owner uh, to hear him tell it later because we'd become friends through this process. He's like, I was sitting in my hot tub having a beer and I never answer the phone from people I don't recognize the number ever. Yeah. And he goes, for some reason, I picked up your call. That's funny. And we just started talking. And huh. yeah, it was awesome. And like I said, I've got a lot of respect for this guy because he was the vision behind it. And I really feel like my job is to carry on this guy's legacy. Like, Is, is this an older guy or just someone who got tired of dealing with it? He um, No, it was his family's compound. And, okay. you know, some situations happened with him and his family and he just decided it was time to to move on, you know? And so he had moved to Florida. His kids mm. were grown and out of the house and he, it was him going up there by himself and it just wasn't as much fun anymore. And yeah. so, um, so we ended up, we ended up kind of developing this friendship and I wanted him to know that my job was to take his vision and carry it forward. And that's, and, and expose this property to the world because it needed to be exposed to the world. Yeah. Well, it also it's kind of interesting that you bought this property at 
basically the height of the market in the last decade or 15 years. Like you bought it at the height and it's crushing. Like, you know what I mean? So that, you know, when people say like, I'm waiting for the market to change, like, I hate it when people say that stuff. It just sounds like a reason to not, to not do something because you, you, you can totally buy at any point. Right. I mean, it just, well, yeah, but this place was like, so it's three separate cabins all within a hundred yards of each other. Right. <clears throat> One's a, this really cool barn, very rustic and um, like almost like a glamping experience. And then one is like this super sophisticated, I call it like a spa lodge, 10,000 square feet. And then one's like a traditional cabin. So like there's something for everybody. So if you got a family reunion of 40 people, there's like literally something for everybody. Um, yeah. And, uh, and we want to expand it with some stuff, but um where I was going with that was it was 20,000 square feet and he wanted $3 million for it. Well, I, I knew that's $150 a square foot. Like that lodge to rebuild that thing today would be $300 a square foot. Like yeah. I knew there was massive equity, potential equity on paper, which is how I convinced my friends uh, to invest with me. Like the two guys that they had, they had a bunch of money with me and my my house flipping company. And I, I said, guys, like this is an equity play beyond equity plays here. I, I, if we get the numbers performing on this property, number one, it's $150 a square foot when it should be like $250 a square foot. Yeah. So worst case, we can sell these things off at $250 a square foot if we yeah. had to. Yeah. So anyway, it was it was kind of a no brainer from an equity standpoint. It was just I had to prove out the numbers to myself that, that we could actually, you know, make the mortgage payment and maybe make a little money on it. Yeah, for sure. So what was the purchase price again? Three million? Was that the purchase price? It was about three million, yeah. What do you think it's worth right now? If you were to I sell don't know. It? You know, it's a that's a great question. You'd have to bust off the cabins and separate them all out, uh, probably to maximize the value right now. But if I had to guess. If rates were like, I mean, a year ago, the, you know, we probably could have sold them all off and maybe at four and a half million. Okay. okay. Um, but today, you know, it's a cash flow play, right? My job's, I'm trying to get the income going yeah. so that we can base the valuation off the cash flow and turn it into a hospitality product instead of a, I really want it to be kind of a hybrid glamping cabin setup, almost like a, you know, a, a really cool experience like, for example, you see out in Montana, like the Greeno or Paws Up Resort, or there's one out in Zion called Open Sky. Like, I really want to bring that kind of vibe. That's my passion right now, Mike, really, is to bring like luxury camping to uh, the Southeast. Yeah, that's so cool. When you're looking at these properties, how do you like, how much of your process involves, maybe not with this cabin, it probably wouldn't work the same way, but should people care what kind of equity is in it if they're just going to use it as Airbnb? Why? Like, I I, and let me let me just reframe it a little bit. If you're buying a house in the suburbs in Michigan and you're spending a hundred thousand dollars on the house, and it's going to net you five hundred dollars for that door for that house, right, or whatever, you know. It, it doesn't necessarily if I, and if I tell you I'm going to keep this rental forever till I die. Theoretically, it doesn't matter what the equity is because I'm getting $500 cash flow from this $100,000 asset and there's no equity, but I'm going to, I'm 50, I'm going to keep it till I'm 90, right? I don't care. But, but do, can you, should you look at Airbnbs that way or how, do you, does it have to be flippable? In other words, do you have to have another exit strategy? I don't know. The only thing this, that would make me say, I would, on all my Airbnbs, I run them as long-term rentals. Mm -hmm. And if they work as a long-term rental, then I'm a little more bullish to take it down and do the Airbnb with it, right? Let's say, okay. assume it's in a great Airbnb area, but if it pencils out as a long-term rental, then you've taken the risk out because if what if Airbnb or what if the uh, county or the city comes in and starts laying down some um, some regulations against Airbnbs all of a sudden, right? Yeah, um, that's happened in Greenville. The city limits of Greenville, South Carolina, man, they're actually hunting. They hired somebody to go hunt these Airbnbs and shut them down inside the city. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's happening all over the country, even in markets that you would think would be typical vacation rental places Yeah, that uh, like, like uh, Palm Springs, California, I was just talking to some people there and it is a, it is a, an all out war on short-term rentals out there. 
And so you have to kind of watch those regulations and know what they are. And, and we actually, when we go into a new market, we actually call the county or call the city and say, what is your appetite for short-term rentals? You know, mm-hmm. are you for them against them? What are your thoughts? And so uh, that's really sometimes how you can find opportunity too, because if you find a, uh, a county that's open to it. Nobody else is doing that legwork. Like nobody else is calling the counties and saying, what's your appetite for short-term rentals? If right. they don't have enough hotel space or anything like that, typically those communities are going to be <laughs> bullish on short-term rentals because they're trying to bring people into town. Yeah. So you've heard So you've heard of that happening. Someone calling the county and saying, what's your appetite or how do you feel about short-term rentals? And they say, we love them. Yeah. Like we call them. Yeah, I'm not telling you what city it is, but we called a local town in North Georgia and said, tell me, tell me what your appetite is for this. And they're like, we don't have enough hotel space. So we love them. Uh, Brings people into town. We're trying to grow the city, grow the community. And, um, you know, we got a, you got either a university or we have this headquarters that is underserved. There's not enough hotels and, and we have to have some place for people to come and stay. Yeah. And so um, if you can find those little, you know, value bombs, it can make awesome. great opportunities for you. So you don't have to tell me the city on Mike. I'm definitely going to badger you yeah. off Mike. But but good. but generically, how did you find the city? Like, did you just randomly see an opportunity and call the city and you got this response? Or did you do some sort of strategic research that led you to that city? Yeah, so my strategic research is I got a cool vibe from the town. You were like, there? I went there. I okay. spent the weekend there. I took my wife there. And we're like, this place is awesome and nobody's ever heard of it before, right? And so we could create a market here or we could do something here. Um, and so that's how that's how we do it is we go and experience the places. And if we like it, we look at and we and then we start evaluating and analyzing that particular area to see if they could support an Airbnb or two. Does it have to be some sort of a an event location or some sort of a thing? Like, did you guys go there? just to relax or was there something happening that people go there for? Yeah. So like, let's assume maybe there's a university, like these super small university towns. I'll give you one. Um, uh, Blairsville, Georgia, right. Um, There's a, there's a little town called young Harris. It's a small little um, school university in, uh, in young Harris. And there's nothing, there's nothing there. Like, let me stop you though. That that's why that, that what you just said would make me think, logically i wouldn't put an airbnb there there's nothing there other than this little college or university right yeah. and does a, a little university support an airbnb like year round well so let's let's take it one step further right so you've got professors that come in you've got adjunct faculty that comes in you have guest professors that will come in and teach or um you have um so maybe they hired a professor and they need a place to stay for 3 or 4 months while they find a house like i think there is a little market for the one-off or two-off uh, groups. What about parents' weekends, right? Parents are coming in to see their kids or or stuff like that. And so, yeah, there's. I think there is enough. And like when you see some of these like YouTube influencers and stuff, they have these really weird, weird uh, short-term rentals out in these areas that nobody would think of investing in, and they're killing it. <sighs> it feels it, like every. It feels like just when you figure out what you need like it should be near a national park it should be near disney world it should be near zion and then you hear this like oh no this is a this is an airbnb in this little town no one's ever heard of with nothing there and it's killing it yeah like what what is the rule here where are the rules i don't know where the side rails are here I, i'm not sure what's happening i wouldn't go take down a 1.5 million dollar property <laughs> in that area <laughs> But, you wouldn't you wouldn't buy the biggest most expensive house in town <laughs> no but it, it like that little that little university right if there's a little bungalow there that you can get for 80 grand and yeah. it pencils out as a long-term rental which it probably would then it would definitely pencil uh, and do really well as a short-term rental yeah, so, that's a good point actually that's a really good point yeah i mean it doesn't always work for the unique like a frame in the middle of the woods it's not going to be a right. rental but those you just have to take a little bit more of a risk i guess yeah um all right, cool. So what let's change gears totally cuz I've I've really worked you over on this cabin. I do this every time we talk because I'm just I it still is a little perplexing to me how you knew it could there were it was no long-term rental. That isn't happening. There was nothing like it anywhere. 
Mm-hmm. I don't even know where you put your pencil down on the paper to start writing about that. Like, how do you even begin to start to know that this isn't going to be a total flop? <laughs> you don't see that's uh, like that's what i love about you that is honestly i'm that way with a lot of things unless i feel completely uneducated then i get a little bit like wait hold on a second and that's kind of where i'm at now just getting my education and I, I i probably ask you the same stupid questions every time i talk to you but i just want to hear your answer every time so i can process i well i think i crowdfunded a lot of opinions right like you know, we have access to a guy out on Bear Lake that's got a bunch of stuff yep. like this. And so what did he think you know, of it, by the way? Did he what did he say when he saw this? He loved it. Okay. Yeah. So he was he, he was he absolutely for it. loved it. And so, you know, when you I think I think when you're a part of a group or a tribe or whatever, right? That you see people like I'm one of those people that I see people do something and that gives me the confidence that I can go do it. I'm not a yeah. person to go out and like create um, like Elon Musk, right? He creates Tesla. He creates a market segment. Mm-hmm. I'm not that person. Like I'm the person that says, okay, I see Tesla. How can I make that better? Like I would start something and, and model it and try to improve upon it. And so yeah. that's really how I approach all of my real estate investing is, is I, I try to surround myself with people that inspire me to go do crazy stuff, right? Because I am pretty conservative. I, I'm not a massive risk taker unless i have some sense that it's going to do well right and so um i'm not going to start 100 things in hopes that 10 of them work and and that one one out of those 10 like makes you a gazillionaire like that's just not my 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 tolerance but but on this one it's like i knew and i was trying to prove myself wrong like i saw it i wasn't emotionally attached to it it was all logic but i just knew it was going to work out yeah. And then I spent a hundred hours trying to prove myself that it would tell myself why, why wouldn't it work out? What, what could go wrong? So try to break it and see if I can break it. And I couldn't break it. Mm. And then, uh, you know, of course I'm reaching out, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to Spencer, I'm talking to mm-hmm. Ashley and Chad, like all these people that are kind of in this space with us. And, uh, and, uh, I'm like, you know, am I crazy here? What do you see? They're like, Oh, this is absolutely going to kill it. I'm like, are you sure Are you just saying that? And, uh, you know, but I think it's a lot of times when you meet your spouse, right. And you're like, Oh yeah, I knew that was the one that was it, you know? And, you know, and if we can find one property like that in our work, our lifetime that we can feel like that, that's pretty awesome. You shouldn't ignore your gut. My gut was basically begging me to prove it wrong versus prove it right. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Let's change gears a little bit. I want to talk about something that I think, I don't know, probably a lot of, maybe a lot of people don't know, but, uh, and if you're not comfortable with it, then you can just give me the stop talking sign. So we met through seven figure flipping. We've alluded to this group, right? Seven figure flipping is where we met. Um, you mm-hmm. joined the group, I think in 2016, like second quarter, maybe first quarter, second quarter. And, yeah. um, we, we met there, you were a house flipper, you got involved, became an owner. And and recently you're, you're not an owner anymore. You sold your shares. You got, you sold it back. So there's a lot of travel involved with that group. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that we do throughout the year and it takes a toll, right? It gets to be a lot in your calendar. So you're not going to be doing that now. So what is, and that's a big decision, right? Anytime I listen, there's a, there's a lot of people make big decisions, but it's really hard sometimes when you've done something for a while, you create a friendships and relationships to walk away from that. But tell me how you plan on replacing that time. Is it going to be just like hanging out with the family? Is Are you going to get even deeper into short-term rentals? Like, is that going to be more of a focus for you in the next few years? How are you going to take this extra time? And answer that, please. And then I don't ask people this enough. And I, I look back at all the interviews I've done over the years. And, and the one thing that I wish I would have asked more often is tell me about what your day looks like. What does a day look like for you? You know, you were this successful realtor, the successful house flipper. Now you're doing Airbnb. Like what, what, what kind of a lifestyle have you created? What do you do when you yeah. wake up? What do you do before you go to bed? Like, what does it look like? Uh, that's a funny question. Okay. So which one do you want to start with first? The time or what does my day look like? The time. Okay. So yeah. So 
like you and I know, like the mastermind being an owner, you know, you also were a teacher and a mentor to a lot of people mm -hmm. and which was extremely um, powerful to me because I had mentors invest in me. And so I wanted to give back. And so it's yep. been a couple of years doing that. Um, so, you know, but the travel, like I've got a daughter that's going into high school and I want to be here for her. Like mm -hmm. I, I don't want to travel 30 days a year. Um, and so I'd like to take, you know, maybe 10 of those days that I got back and really start going to some things that are that teach people maybe like uh, we're kind of into this hospitality glamping space. Right. And there's um, there's not much out there for that. Um, so it's trying to find those things and network with those types of people. I really want to get uh, with these super high end niche hotelier properties right so just like super specific boutique hotel type things the hospitality piece of it is really attractive to me and my wife and that's what we love we love serving people through hospitality um creating nice spaces for people to come and enjoy themselves and um and i like those kinds of cash flowing businesses so um so that's kind of what i'm into and what i want to be doing um in terms of a normal day mike um, I hate meetings as much as you do, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I have to have a diverse day. So when I went into business for myself, like I did enough of the Groundhog Day, middle school band, you wake up, you do the same thing every day, same kids every period, same time yep. slot, same everything, right? Yep. And so so I, I like a diversity in my day. I don't have a lot of structure in my day. Um, I get up, I have coffee, I read the news, I like cars, so I look at some car stuff in the morning and I just chill. And then about well, nine What time do you wake up? What time do you, okay, what time do you wake up though? I usually get up around 6.30 to 7. Okay, all right. Coffee, I, and I go paper, to bed around 11, 11.30. Okay. Um, and then um, I carry, uh, recently I carry around this gratitude journal because uh, I can tend to be a little bit skeptic and maybe a little negative sometimes, <laughs> if you want me to be honest. And so I write in my gratitude journal. I try to every day. The things I'm grateful for, um, and uh, and that that sounds like super like lofty, but I missed about half the month, half the days of the month, and so it's just <laughs> it's super raw. And I want everybody to know that like when you start something like this, like it's just you just got to do it. And yeah. don't beat yourself up when you miss a day or whatever, right? I so know. I I envy you for doing that. And I do have I do have a question about your gratitude journal because I saw your yeah. post on Facebook and my wife and I discussed you during over coffee in the morning and this thing and you inspired her to do it. Like she wasn't just going, "Hey, I'm going to do that too." And then she she really does. If, if my, nice. my wife messages you and says, "I'm going to do something," you better darn believe she's doing it. But <laughs> so she started doing it, and I said, "So in the I did it in the way that you love about me." I go. All right, so let me t let me ask you a question about this journal. To her, I did it right now. Now I'm now I'm grilling her about your thing. I said, let me ask you a question about this journal thing. You write every day what you're grateful for. Can you just write the same thing every day? Can you only write things in you're grateful for that on that day that you're grateful for? Or what if you just happen to wake up and realize, oh crap, I'm really grateful that uh, I can I can walk, and some people can't walk. Can you write that or does it have to be something inspired by the day that you're in? For me, it has to be, it usually comes out of something that happens. And what I find is, so, you know, I, I, I can definitely venture on the side of negative and being, you know, a grumpy curmudgeon when I get old, you know, like that, that, that could be my standard default mode. But what I find this gratitude <laughs> journal doing is it catches me being an idiot, you know? So when I want to go on a rant or a tirade or just complain about the world in general, like I found myself now all of a sudden stopping because I don't like being in that spot. So weird, like how your brain yeah. works that way. Yeah. And, and I, I missed half of January. Like I was just, I finally did it today. I carried it around all the time. And then yesterday I put five or six things in it. And, and I was like, when was the last time I put anything in here? And it was like two weeks ago. And, um, and so anyway, I find that it's starting to change me the the more I do it and the more regular I get at it. Um, mm. So when I go sideways, it doesn't last as long, if that makes sense. I kind of like when you're ornery too, Terry, for the record. So don't get <laughs> right. totally unornery. I, I like yeah. when you're ornery. Um, yeah, Nanette said actually what it does for her is uh, it makes her 
like it's almost like you know that thing i can't remember the phenomenon what it's called but you say i'm gonna i want to buy an f-150 i'm interested next thing you know it's all you see when you're driving around as f-150s she said it's kind of like that where she starts she finds herself noticing things she's grateful for that she might not have noticed before right so you're talking about it stops you from getting into a state of anger or whatever with her it's it's it probably does that but it also like when things happen that that you should be grateful for she she recognizes it where before it would just be background you know so it's yeah kinda... totally i like i put something in my one of the first couple of weeks i put squirrels nests in trees like i wouldn't i never paid attention to squirrels nests in trees but we're on this walk uh, my wife and i are on this walk and i'm like what are all those clumps of leaves up in all these trees and my pussy goes there's squirrels nests i'm like i never in my life have noticed that before i haven't either yeah I, never, I, like, didn't, I didn't even know they had nests i thought they I don't know what I thought they did. Build condos terms, or something. And in terms of my day, like hanging out with you and other people that are high producing, like I can tend to get in the weeds on stuff. I'm really trying to, I read the book, Who Not How recently, and I'm really trying to focus on the big vision stuff and not get in the weeds on stuff I don't yeah. have to get in the weeds on. Yeah. I don't enjoy being in the weeds. And so oh, my day I looks like, but I also want people to do their crap right and do it at a high level. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like, well, you know, you're not going to do it at a high level. I better get in the weeds for you, you know? And so yeah. that's, that's bad. I shouldn't think that way. But um, but I'm I'm just constantly trying to elevate um diversity in my day. I don't like things to stay the same. Um, I hate staring at a computer screen all day. And and honestly, one day a week, I go up to the lodge and I do I call it manual labor Monday. I actually go to the lodge, I take my tools and I fix crap all day. One lodge. day you do that every every week. One day a week. Wow. How long does it take you to get there? By the way, I never asked you. Uh, that's about. It's a two hour drive up and two hour drive back. Wow, that's a that's a commitment. That's a, it's yeah. four hours out of your day just to get there yep. and get back. Okay, cool. I go up there, and when you go outside, it it feels like a fresh <clears throat> fallen snow. It's like that muted out up in the mountain, and I'm just like I'm up here, just me and myself. It is amazing, and I'm getting stuff done. That's cool. And it is, yeah. uh, it's so beautiful, man. I, you were on, uh, what was the TV show you were on recently? What was it called again? Oh uh, yeah. Uh, uh, American dream home on the Fox American business. Dream home. Yeah. Yep. Fox business. So based on a true story based. Yes. Mostly true. But just the, the visual, uh, just seeing that, you know, with professional cameras and stuff like it is, it, it, I knew it was beautiful. I knew it was a nice place. I didn't, I didn't remember how, vast it was first of all it's humongous and yeah. how incredibly well it's decorated because i think i saw that and the first thing i said was did you guys decorate that was that already decorated like it's really awesome the way it's done too it's got i don't know it's just a really cool place so and we gotta I, we gotta get up there somehow i want to be there but it's way too big for me and my wife so we got to figure out how we'll do get we get people up. there and yeah we'll get a fun group together and go that would be a blast yeah exactly let's invite <laughs> our rich friends so they'll pay for most of it Let's do that. What's funny, you know, here's the funny thing though, right? Like it's a, you know, $3 million property and you're like, Ooh, you know, I, you know, we have this giant lodge, but at the end of the day, I'd rather like lay down a sleeping bag outside and watch the stars and not be in any of the really unbelievable, beautiful bedrooms and all that stuff. Like, I just want to be outside taking Mm -hmm. in the environment more than I want to be taking the lodge space. If that makes any sense. It does. And that's something too. Is it um, at night? Have you been there when it's like at night on a clear night? Oh yeah. You can, it's one of the darkest skies in Georgia. Oh, that, that's so cool yeah. that I'm interested in big time. Yeah. There's a uh, website called a uh, light tracker or something that shows you where the darkest skies are. So there's some dark sky a little further North of us, but in Georgia itself, it's one of the darkest skies. You can see the the haze of the Milky way with the naked really? eye. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh man, dude, you yeah. should put it on. Like, it has uh, to be Clear night for sure and no moon, but yeah, you can. Is there a is there a telescope there at all? Do you have a telescope on? Premises? No, I need to put one up there. That would be um, awesome. I think people yeah. would like that. I do too. Yeah, I need to put one up there. That's that's sweet. All right, so you get up, you read the paper, you look. I don't know. You look at cars in the morning. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I know Doug, you like cars. A, I follow this uh, guy Doug Demiro. If anybody's into cars, you've heard of him. He's on YouTube and. He always has this, uh, he's got this auction car site. I, I'm into unique cars. I just love old cars. Yeah. I can find something good about every car. 
how old how like what age of car is like most it interesting doesn't for you matter to me i just like cool looking cars like so yeah. for example like uh, i just watched ford versus ferrari for like the 20th time yesterday it was yeah. rainy here and i watched ford i love i love that movie ford it's versus ferrari movie. Yeah. And so, like, I was looking at some, like, they were showing the old, like, this is, what is that, back in the 60s, when cars, like, started to have curves and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and Ferrari, I was like, <laughs> I, like, Ferrari could be today's Ferrari, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, I I just like design. It doesn't, it could be a Ford GT, it could be a Ferrari, it doesn't matter. I just, anything that catches my eye that looks cool. Yeah. I could see you be having a, having a Jay Leno hangar full of cars. Oh, dude, if I could, if my dream job, <laughs> what I tell people all the time is taking care of Jay Leno's cars. That would be a dream. <laughs> dude, it would be awesome. He has some crazy, unique, unbelievable cars there. Yeah. It's just, that's awesome. That's so yeah. cool. And I don't know anything. I don't know how to fix an engine or change oil. I just like the looks of cars. That's funny. I, yeah. I don't know how to do that stuff either. And I spent many a night and day in my parents' garage, the family garage, while my dad fixed cars and I don't know anything, you know why I was the light holder. That's what I was. Hold the light and don't move it. And me and my brother would eventually, because when you're 11 and you're holding a drop light, uh, for two hours straight, eventually you start (laughs) goofing around because you're bored. And then we'd inevitably goof around. The light would move, you know, two degrees and I'd get yelled at. (laughs) <laughs> it was, but that's that's my I was I was uh I was around car fixing my whole life and I can't do anything either. I have no idea how to do it. What's funny is I'll go to like a car show and I'll be like, oh that, that car is beautiful. And it's like, oh, it's got the 440 GT turbo blast. I'm like, I don't I really don't care about the engine or anything. I just it sure is pretty. Cool. It looks cool. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, dude. I love that you're so into cars. Cause you're right. If you go to like a car thing like that, people probably are perplexed if you don't know anything you know what i mean like about uh, engines and stuff yeah and they either. like people are into their own car right like they they like yeah. specialize in this one car and yeah. they they could tell you like the part number and you know everything about this particular car and i'm i'm surveying the whole landscape going what's just cool yeah yeah, yeah. Not like i do our real estate business i guess are there any cars that you see and you're like people love those but those are such crap like, is there any, like, I know, like, for example, so some people might like when, when I, for you too, cause you grew up in Ohio growing up in Michigan, Southeast Michigan, I saw like a, you know, Firebird and I'd be like, that's the greatest car in the world. Yeah, right. Yeah. But a real car person would go, Firebird is garbage. It's like cotton candy. It's like, it's the worst. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, I mean, they look cool when I was a kid. I don't know. Is there any cars like that where you're like, those are garbage or do you just like anything that looks good? Uh, I think I like, like, you know, anything that looks good, like, you know, the Ford Etzel, like that's, you know, people don't hate it anymore. You know, it was like a piece of junk car back then, but yeah. Yeah. And like anything that, yeah, I don't need anything that just has a cool look to it. Like I like those fastback Mustangs, you know, like those, I are, like those too. Those are cool. Yeah. Stuff that, you know, it, what's funny is it's like, some people think it looked cool. Some people don't. And then there's like this universal, like, okay, everybody loves the fastback Mustang. Yeah. You know, yeah. Why does everybody love it? You know, what is it about it that everybody's right. just into it? So we just moved, you know this, but we just moved. But what I didn't tell you was there's this like muscle car place. So that's all they sell. They have a showroom and they have just all these awesome cars from the 60s and 70s. These like oh, great American muscle cars. Every time I go by there, I go, I want to stop in there so bad. I love looking at those because I don't know anything about cars either, but I like looking at them. Um, but yeah, that would be dangerous to just go in there because I would be tempted to start buying stuff. Cause it's just, <laughs> just looking from the road when I go by, I go, those are so cool. So sometime yeah. I'll get you up here and we'll, we'll go look at some muscle oh, yeah, cars that'd together. Fun. That'd be a blast. Yeah. Well, to do that for sure. And we talked about the, like this long drawn out interview we we're going to do. You're going to come up here in person. Well, we'll still have to do that if people have a tolerance for us together any longer than, than what right. we've done here the last hour or so. But um, man, I don't know. I, I don't really have a lot else that I want to talk about, but I just, thanks for doing this on relatively short notice. That's the great thing about having friends that are super interesting and successful. And also your friend, you can, you can sort of ask them for favors to do things on a late notice that they might not do otherwise. So thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. I think, uh, you know, you've got a good listener base out there and you help a lot of people are, and I, I'm super grateful for that. I think, 
you know, the biggest thing I could tell your audience is, you know, real estate should be fun. Investing should be fun. And yeah. like, do what you do, what you like to do in the moment. And then it could change. Like, like I never, you know, five years ago when I got started, I never thought I would, if you said, oh, in five years, you'll own a 20,000 square foot lodge at the top of a mountain in Georgia. I'd have been like, no, I won't. <laughs> exactly. You know, if, or, if I do, my acquisition person is in real trouble. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff changes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. The biggest mistake I've seen people make, somebody asked me today through text is weird. I was having a weird conversation with somebody I never met, but he said, um, oh, he's in my market. He wanted to meet for coffee. And he said, uh, if you could go back and tell your 23 year old self something, and he he's 23, he goes, what would you tell him? So I, I told him some things that I would, my first thing I said, I would tell myself is to get off my butt and start doing like something, get in real estate now. Don't wait until you're 35. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is, <clears throat> biggest mistake I've seen people make since even since you and I have known each other is they look at what somebody else is doing and decide without any good reason that that's what they should be doing. And then they pursue that until they either crash and burn or they figure out, I don't even like this. Why am I doing this? This isn't, this isn't, I don't like it at all. Right. So don't look at what somebody else is doing that makes them happy. If having a cabin in the, in the, you know, in the mountains of Georgia doesn't sound like something that makes you happy, you know, definitely don't do it. But if you're out there right now and you're grinding out these flip properties and like D neighborhoods and you're miserable and what Terry just said sounds awesome, then do it. Like get inspired by that. Like you got inspired by like Spencer, probably like somebody who's doing big stuff and you just said, I can do big things. Like that's the thing is don't just look until you find someone who makes a lot of money. And then do say, I'm going to do whatever they do because they make a lot of money. Find someone who makes a lot of money doing stuff that sounds cool to you, that you like, that sounds fun. And the people that are making lots of money aren't out beating their chest most of the time. They're just out there grinding and doing the work. Yep. So you have to like, it's not easy to find those people sometimes. I mean, unless you join a mastermind, right? Like, I mean, I'm a full firm believer in paying to play because mm -hmm. it just shortcuts the process of finding the kind of people that you want to find but, uh, you know, just there are people out there doing stuff that act like they're doing stuff, but really aren't doing stuff. Does For that make sure. sense? You totally do. There's so much of that. There's it's a ridiculous. guy in our market just beats his chest, beats his chest. I got all these students. My student did this. And now I'm like, you're not doing crap. I know what you're doing. So <laughs> yeah. the more, the louder they are, the more chance there is they're not doing anything except yep. being loud. Yeah, very true. Very true, man. Just don't follow the money. It's not always the path to happiness. Because I mean, if you're 23, you think money is happiness, obviously. Mm. But man, it is not. At the end of the no. day, it's not. Like you, you know, you just you've got to find someone who's successful doing something that you really think is awesome or something that really sounds great to you. Don't just take the first person who's making money, whether they are like assume for a minute, everyone who says they're making big money is, which is obviously not true. But assume they are, but still. Just because someone's making a ton of money doing something, it doesn't mean you will be happy doing it. There's plenty of people doing things, making money that you would love to do. You just got to find, to your point, you just got to find those people, right? Don't settle for the first guy who waves around, you know, a handful of hundred dollar bills because probably he's full of crap. But also you may not even like what he had to do to get that money. Right. And get to the spot where you're comfortable saying, I'm okay going this direction, even though I won't make as much money as I would if I went this direction and something I didn't like. Right. So like yeah. I had this, you know, I, I, if you got me, like, can I tell one more story? Quick yeah, story. yeah, for sure. We got all the time we need. So, the, the, so I was actually having a conversation with somebody who does multifamily syndication and I know you're involved and I'm involved in four or five syndications with these people. And I said, Hey, can I ride back with you? And I, I just want to ask you a few questions. So I said, you know, tell me like, do you really make a lot of cash flow per month on these multifamily deals, right? When you lock these that. things down. Yeah. And and he's like, no, the big money gets made when we exit and refinance. So when we sell and we do all that, it's like, my job is to take care of the, the limited partners so that the limited partners get their preferred rate of return. And my, my job is to make sure that they make money before we ever make money. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And so, um, and and I was like, I don't want to do multifamily. I don't want to go out and find multifamily investments myself. I, yeah. I, there's nothing attractive about that to me. There's nothing that kind of gets me going and says, eh, I can't wait to do that. 
but like to go take down this lodge and turn it into something really cool that's unique and nobody else has like that that was cool for me and so that yeah. was a big switch that happened um because i was like well i should i should take the next evolution in my real estate investing and that's multifamily but i really wasn't interested in it other yeah. than taking my extra money and putting it in their <laughs> deals cuz i know they're good you know yeah that's true it's funny you say that because i remember when you told me that you were going to start looking at multifamily investing, like that was something you might want to get more involved in. And then I, I didn't really think about it. You told me that. And now that you're saying it, I'm realizing, yeah, you never did actually do that, but I never heard the story. I didn't realize that's what, what happened and that's why you didn't do it. I just yeah. figured you just got this lodge and it distracted you, but you made a decision. I might want to do this. You, you found out a little more. It doesn't seem, doesn't turn me on. I'm going to go in a different direction. So Right. Yeah, and I huge. know I'm probably not going to make as much money, but I mean, I'm 53 years old. I don't care. I just, from now to the time that I exit the planet, I want to have fun doing what I do. Period. I care a little bit because I assume I'm in your will. And so I want you to make as much money as possible because I want my piece of the pie to be big, Terry. So let's yeah. go for the money a little bit. Come on. Well, I'm going to try to go second in that race. <laughs> <if that's okay. laughs> uh, one of us might be disappointed if we find out we're not actually a big part of the will. If we're not in the room during the reading with all the family. Yeah, it's, I just want whatever cool car you got. Something Here's the deal, man. Cool. I just want to be in the nursing home growing old with you. That's really all I care about. <laughs> That's right. You listen, you better clutch that uh, journal you got because you know we're going to be ornery in a funeral in a funeral home. In an old folks home, you know we're going to be ornery <laughs> right. there, man. I'm ornery enough now sitting in my own house comfortably around things that I love. I can't imagine if I'm in an old folks home. We're going to be like uh, one of those two puppets on the now I'm really dating us, but the Muppets, oh. those two old guys up in the balcony. Yeah. Yep, yep. That's yeah. That's remember. us. That's yeah. us. YouTube it, guys, if you don't know what I'm talking about, but that'll be <laughs> us for sure. All right, man. I'm going to let you get back to your fam. I appreciate Everybody. you doing this. You're like, you're awesome, man. You're one of the best people on earth that I know. So hey, same to you, right back at you. Thanks for investing in all these people that listen every week. For sure. Thanks for coming on here and helping out. It was fun. Hey, man. All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys, that was a lot of fun for me. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Being a little fly on the wall, talking uh, a lot of real estate, a little bit of like, you know, life. How do you navigate? What do you do during the day? I'm always curious about what people who I listen to and look up to and admire, like, how do they spend their day? When do they get up? What do they do in the morning? How do they structure things, right? Uh, so anyways, hopefully you guys found that part of it interesting too. I know I did. And uh, I'm going to be interviewing some more folks that I, I know and that I know have fantastic businesses and are really doing things the right way. So stay tuned for those. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.